0: Being chief executive of a charity about emotional health is uh, one of the real joys of life. But everyone assumes that you're going to be really kind of chill and zen about everything.
1: This is Peter Leonard. He's the chief executive of the Centre for Emotional Health.
0: But sometimes you have to be quite firm. And uh, we were dealing with an organisation who wanted something, phoned us up and like, well, we need this tomorrow. And I'm like, actually, no, we've got enough going on we need to put a firm boundary in here and so we went back and said actually we, we'd love to give you this information but you can't have it tomorrow you can have it in three days time and I'm just reflecting on how sometimes you you've got to have boundaries and you need to be able to say no to something and and, and recognize your self-worth give yourself the space you need
1: and this is Emotionally Speaking a new podcast all about emotions your emotions and how they affect every aspect of your life
0: One of the things I really value about working on this podcast is that it gives me the opportunity to just think about things like that, like recognising my self-worth, recognising things that we can do to develop our emotional health. So here we are for another episode. Thanks so much for joining me, Peter Leonard, as we explore the world of emotions and just how much they influence our lives. If this is your first time here, welcome. In this series, I've been meeting people to talk about the challenges we face in life, and how getting through them involves knowing and understanding our emotional makeup. If you've listened before, you'll probably already know that emotional health and mental health are closely related but different. And I hope that by sharing these experiences, we can build a deeper understanding of how to apply the principles of good emotional health to whatever life throws at us.
2: Helping and like connecting back to others and to newcomers is really what keeps me sober. I love the saying, you know, we can only keep what we have by giving it away. And that's that's really true for me. You know, it's about passing on the message. That's, that's really what keeps me sober.
0: Today, I'm delighted to welcome the chef and writer, Alistair Gill. Hello, Alistair.
2: Hi, Peter. Thanks for having me.
0: It's great. Really lovely to have you with us. Thank you for being here. We're going to be talking about emotional health today and emotions in general. As we're about to hear, your emotional toolkit has been built on quite a journey of addiction, recovery, and sobriety. But before we get into that, I wonder if you could tell us a bit about where you are now, about your two worlds of food and writing
2: absolutely beautifully done by the way thank you very well (laughs) (laughs) i'm i'm a chef i I do i have my own private catering company so with that i do um anything from bar mitzvahs to diwali parties and private dinners and then more recently within the last year i've been doing more writing so i'm a journalist as well now technically which has been quite a cool u-turn i suppose (laughs) or a twist
0: and on on TV, there's lots of programs about about chefs and cooking, and it's, mm. it looks like a really high pressure environment. Is that kind of your experience of being in in a kitchen?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it is hilarious that all that oof, the production companies have just loved that. Yeah. But it's not really about the food so much, it's more about the lifestyle, and that's what people want to ask. It's like, oh, you're a chef. Well, do you get beaten with a whisk? Or, <laughs> or what happens? <laughs>
0: So, it sounds, so you've you kind of made a conscious decision to, to do it differently to yeah you.
2: exactly I, i'm sort of cheating while uh still holding the title of war hero
0: <laughs> well at the center for emotional health we would say that you're you've shown great self-awareness you made a personal choice you used your personal power to make the right decision for you and that's that's a really good
2: thing it's a really uh, positive well, thing so. big fan of you guys now thank <laughs> you good yeah. good
0: with all our guests, we always start by asking this question. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive in with you. Shoot away. What does emotional health mean to you?
2: What does emotional health mean to me? Oof, I suppose, you know, I guess it's something that is, is is prevalent in everyone, but it's obviously much, much more severe in others through disease which is like what I have of addiction among other things and it's been a long journey for me personally to understand that I needed any tools or that even it was a possibility to have a different life so I mean you could go on and on about so many different sort of tools for it but it's for me if I were to simplify it it would be honesty with gratitude is what's really important for me. The gratitude is so important because I naturally want to lean into what's wrong. It's, yeah, it's what, what, what keeps me sober mostly and keeps my mental health in check is being able to look back at the day and think, actually, you know what, I'm really grateful for this. Yeah. Because with that, especially with my alcoholism, it's, it's knowing that a, a grateful alcoholic doesn't drink and that's actually relatable to many different things a grateful whatever doesn't do this because finding those little pockets of goodness and appreciating them gives your life more value
0: that's really interesting gratitude is a real a real theme that runs through kind of positive psychology mm. you know a practice of, of gratitude to, to improve your kind of mental well-being so i'm fascinated by by that that gratitude is clearly a key thing in in helping you coping you handle your addiction and and, and not drink
2: mm well one of many
0: (laughs) (laughs) so can we talk a bit more about that so um, in terms of your life addiction and recovery has been a huge part of your life could you tell us about that
2: well it's interesting yeah because I suppose you how how you say addiction is a big part now recovery is it's funny how you, you can almost look at it as no matter if I'm sober or not drugs and alcohol will always be at the center of my life it's just whether I'm using them or I'm not but um now that I'm sober I have to put my recovery at the centre because everything else in my life, everything, you know, that I've, I've now gained from it, a life, you know, a job, a people, relationships, I don't get any of that if I'm not sober and everything I've got now is on mortgage and if I don't put the work in, I don't get to keep it.
0: That swings right back into that gratitude thing.
2: Yeah, exactly. So you know, no matter it's also amazing to have that win sober every day. No matter how rubbish my day has been, at the end I didn't pick up, and it's very easy to look at things on a zoomed in lens when actually you just need to take a step back and think, "I'm I'm here, I'm above ground." And actually, (laughs) if you were a betting man, which I try not to be, you wouldn't have put money on that three years ago
0: when did it start and and then when on that journey did you think oh actually hang on this is this is
2: this is a problem when when did the addiction start when i was born
0: right (laughs) that's how i have
2: to look at it and yeah i really do believe that
0: when did it start showing itself what was the what were the what were the
2: well you know it's 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 for me it's it's very obvious i was born an addict because yeah i think there's many uh, there's many things that can lead you down that route of like trauma and things like that but for me, it's very obvious because the traits that make me one have always been there. I would be that kid who would steal all the sweeties and then hide them in his room and then join the search party with everyone else. And I did that with narcotics as well. Mm. So even then, you know, I also remember there wasn't ever a feeling of, of, you know, drugs and alcohol, I've got to be careful of that. It was much more, there's something that can make me feel different. What is that? I need to get my hands on that. And, you know, that's a that's a, even a big show at that age, the, a discomfort in your own skin. So, you know, I don't think there's any, especially with my family, they always think, oh, well, what if this is, could have been different? It's like, I, I really don't believe that. I don't think there's any trail that could have happened where I'm not an addict because that's just who I am. The big lineage you see in most addicts is, is, is lineage. It, it, it runs down in families. But, again, that's just my story of why I think I am. I think there's many different trails that can get you there mm. through trauma yeah. and things. You know. Yeah, different
0: ways of ending up in that same place. Yeah, but it's um, all the same
2: gutter. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, yeah. So, so what about the journey of rehab? When, when did that start for you? What did it look like?
2: The journey for rehab, that was... Um, I was 27, and I suppose I had really reached the end of my trail, mentally, physically, spiritually, everything, I was just done. You know, I was in this sort of weird space where I didn't I, I didn't want to die, but I didn't want to live either. I really was done with my life. And I was also physically very sick, and through going to the doctors, I found out, among many things, I had alcoholic cirrhosis in my liver and was told it was going to kill me. And even then, you know, it's... My response to that was, "What drugs can you give me for that?" And um, I really was on the fence, even about doing anything about it. And I sort of just went along and went, "All right, oh, I'll go to rehab," like the doctor suggested. And it's you know, it's amazing those those tiny little moments they seem resulted in my life being able to change. I really think lines have to line up, waves have to sort of come together for a successful recovery to be possible. And so. Even with all the work and you know everything coming together, there's just luck at the end. So I, I consider myself lucky.
0: In the in the people we've been chatting to in this series, it's really interesting how it, what goes into an emotional toolkit for people is is often mm. a small thing, but it has a massive effect. Yeah, um, and exactly. Like like you know you could say gratitude is ultimately quite a small thing, but clearly has a massive effect, an impact on on you.
2: And it, it, it can be it can be really hard to do. Yeah. Write out gratitude. Yes. Yeah, it can really annoy me. But that's because, you know, I, I, I naturally lean towards demise, I suppose. You know, I've got to fight if I want to go the other way. As an alcoholic and, and as a drug addict, it's against your natural state to be sober. Hmm. Your natural, my natural state to just be is to fall back into the gutter. If you want to be sober, you've got to fight and put the work in that's also been a big realisation, is this, this all a programme of action.
0: Yeah. It's really interesting to listen to you, and I'm, I'm really grateful, Alistair, for your openness about this. It, 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 sounds like, it sounds like hard work.
2: Yeah. Do you know what? It's, 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 it's really, to simplify it, when I was using, my life was really easy, and I wanted to die. Now, my life is really hard, But it's incredible. And actually, especially as an addict, if you were to say that sentence to me, it almost doesn't make sense. But that is what it is. It's it's crazy. You know, I get so overwhelmed by anything. It's like I had to learn how to live like a normal person in the last uh, 27. I really didn't know how to do anything. I didn't know how taxes worked or anything like that or how to fill out a form so really i find all that incredibly difficult but it's worth every second of it Mm. and that's why it's so important to look back on the day and go look look what i've got this is this is something that i never dreamed would have been on the cards for me ever
0: I mean, it's incredible listening to you, and, and it's really inspirational because I'm thinking, you know, I don't do that. I don't, I don't end the day and think, what am I grateful for? But for, for what, mm. what a brilliant thing to be doing in terms of what goes into an emotional toolkit. Um, I, I, you know, how amazing is that? You know, just and not because I'm uh, an addict mm. or, or in recovery, but just because what a positive, amazing thing to do.
2: Yeah, it, it, it sounds a lot better on paper, but I'm, rubb- I'm rubbish at it. Yeah, but,
0: <laughs> but you're doing it, aren't you? Because you know that's you, you know you know the difference it makes. Yes, so. please.
2: Will you call my sponsor and tell him? <laughs> <It's>, <laughs>
0: you mentioned your sponsor. So you your rehab was twelve step program.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. How how was that What Did it look like for you?
2: Awful, <laughs> but it worked. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. What you find with a lot of people who go who are addicts who go into sobriety is you'll like like I did. I got the first couple of months in rehab sober. And then your ego kicks in. And I thought, actually, I, I don't need to do anything else. I've just got two months sober. I've done it. What else do I need to do? I don't need to do the steps. I'm good. I'm golden. When actually it's alcohol and drugs is just the tiny bit of what it is to be an addict. There's nothing wrong with alcohol and drugs. It's not shoving itself down my face. It's There's something that was making me do that. And you only get to the bottom of that through, through the steps, You know, through sorting out your resentments and making a, a fearless moral infantry and, you know, making amendments. We call that being a dry drunk or white-knuckling it is when you're just, you're sober but you're not doing a programme because the sickness doesn't go. It's, it's always going to be in me. There's a, a reading in the book that's, I think it's just something like, my addiction is something inside of me that I think something outside of me is going to cure it. And you hear a lot of amazing things in those rooms and in the book, obviously. But every now and again, you can hear a line that can just sum it all up. My addiction is something inside of me. I think something outside of me will cure it. Now, what I see from that is that my addiction is sort of a big black hole here. And I try to fill that with sex, booze, drugs, love, but it only feeds it. And the truth is that it's always going to be there. And you can't, you can't fill it or jam it. It's just about managing it and being honest with it and, and being able to connect with other people. That is how you really find a life worth living. Not one that's just surviving, but actually a life worth mm-hmm. living. Because that's what being a dry drunk for me was. I was getting through the day sober. Yeah. This is how you find it properly for me,
0: anyway. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of very powerful emotions at play here
2: Mm -hmm.
0: some of which are potentially positive some of which might not so helpful i wonder if you can say something about what those emotions might be i'm thinking is there any shame is there any guilt what's going on there
2: it's funny you said that it's 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 exactly the fine line between that between shame and guilt do you see them as the same thing
0: um no no i don't see them as the same thing
2: exactly Um, i would have and it's funny because i think I'll, i'll still have shame but it's about easing the guilt. Okay. It, it's an incredibly crucial line there. Because you can still have shame about what, what my life was as an alcoholic. But I don't feel guilty about it because I understand what I have now. And all I can do is do the best I can to amend that mm. and be the best person for me, but also for others. Mm. But it's interesting because I, I would have put them together.
0: That's forever. really interesting.
2: And same with that sort of ego, you know, pride and ego. This addiction is more than anything a, a, a cruxing of my pride and ego. You know, it's me thinking, I- I'm in control. I- I've got this. And it's it's. I remember, like a therapist in rehab, giving me homework on pride, and it triggered me so much. <laughs> I just wanted to tell her, you have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Because I was so full of shame. I didn't have pride. Try talking your way out of not needing pride homework. You sound like such a... Beep. (laughs) Again, it's interesting because shame and pride, they kind of go hand in hand, even though they sound like opposites.
0: Shame is such a powerful, destructive emotion. Mm. Growing up gay, shame was a massive thing for me. Really? Um, And it took me years of therapy to to really get down to the the heart of, of what was you know, what was causing my issues, which was shame. Really? It can be so destructive, can't it?
2: And why did you feel the shame?
0: I think because people around, you know, I'm of a generation when um, right. they, they, it was unacceptable. So, so you kind of, you, you're, the shame is given to you by others, but you also then take it on board and carry it and live with it. Yeah, And course. it's so destructive, isn't it? I Do
2: think. you still now?
0: No, I had years of counselling and after about, about, I don't know, six sessions about, it, oh, I'm fine now, thanks very much, I'm off. Um, and it was only when I had an amazing counsellor who said, no, let's just keep going for a
2: bit. Sit, sit back down. <laughs> yeah, sit back down, yeah. you're not going
0: anywhere. And, and really got to the heart of it and, and, and uncovered what, was, what it was, which was shame. And that was such a powerful realisation.
2: It's remarkable that moment, is and, and,
0: and, and mentioning it, and that's why, well, why I'm very happy to talk about it, mm. is because vocalising it suddenly makes this, for me anyway, this is the project projector on anyone else, for me, made this monster of shame inside me. Much more
2: manageable. Exactly. Secrets make you sick.
0: Yeah. And, mm. and talking about it is is so powerful. It makes them smaller and more manageable.
2: It's remarkable that, isn't it? Yeah. Because you, you just, you, uh, until it happens, you also would never think that that's not going to help. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To with, yeah.
0: This is Emotionally Speaking, the podcast about emotional health and relationships. I'm Peter Leonard, and today I'm talking with writer and chef Alastair Gill about his journey of recovery from addiction. So let's come back with a question at you. We should mention that you're, you come from quite a high-profile family. Your father was the writer A.A. Gill, and your mother is the former Home Secretary Amber Rudd. Mm. I'm just wondering whether you feel that was there extra scrutiny because people know something about your family because there's there's names out there. Do you think?
2: Mm, yeah, for sure. I mean, it wasn't. It definitely wasn't cool to have the Tories weren't in. If that's what you mean, (laughs) I was being completely. And they haven't been for a while. (laughs) Um, But I suppose it uh, was—it was something that was kind of always there. I mean, Dad was always in the public eye quite a lot. Mum definitely rose to fame, and that was like whoa, because that happened very quickly. I think she was like the fastest rising politician since the Second World War, and I didn't even know what a Home Secretary was. (laughs) <laughs> She's gonna be working from home, great. <laughs> yeah, I was so it mashed up in a terrible my own terrible world. I was so deluded about what anything else was. But it was um you know, I feel very lucky with my family. I think I think they're, I was blessed with the incredibly loving people around me and um and high achievers. The only thing slightly is that everyone was sort of busy, but you know, there's no really resentment's there, but it's, uh you know, life is hard. We've all got our own problems and we're all trying to make it work. Yeah. And the love has always been there. So,
0: you, yeah. That, clearly, that, I mean, that's clearly been very powerful and you, you mentioned earlier uh, the, the, about relationships and the 12-step programme, you have a sponsor, so there's a relationship there. Relationships played an important part in that journey to, for that recovery journey?
2: Oh, yeah. Well, they were, they were non-existent before, really. I was... Very dishonest and conniving and manipulating, and you get good at covering up what you're doing as an addict. You sort of become a pro at it because you're selling it so well. And so that's why I think it was a big thing for me quite early on to be actually, this is what I'm doing, this is what I've been getting up to. And that suddenly makes it a lot real. Once you say, you know, I've got a problem with this, even to a bit you've almost crossed the line of, actually, it's going to be tricky going back now, now that you've made that. Mm. In, in many ways, you know, my my life only got real when I got sober, not even then, actually, only developing into the program and finding my life because that's, that's when I actually have started to find myself. And you know, that's something I struggle with a lot in early recovery is identity. And I think, in a weird way, I think I struggled with identity Uh, now after uh, getting sober and also as a child but weirdly enough not when I was using I almost had an identity then and that's also what feeds into shame because you kind of know what you are and it's like oh I can't let anyone see me like this and
0: I think I think you're absolutely right it's really interesting you use the expression want to be heard Mm -hmm. we're back to vocalizing again aren't we about vocalizing your identity and and in a world where you know, you, you have your kind of your real identity and then there's your social media identity or
2: Yeah, identity. exactly. That's
0: such a balancing act, isn't it? And Joe, it must be exhausting. I, I've done it in the past. I'm I'm too tired to do it now. And I can't I just mm. post pictures of my dog now because like, that's, <laughs> that's all I can manage. It, it, there, there is that, you know, it's, it's effort. It's effort to maintain to, to, So uh, much effort. It. And I mean, I you like, kind of
2: think, why are you doing it? Mm. <laughs> what are you doing it for? Yeah.
0: Yeah. We've talked a, a bit about effort, and, and, we, and we've heard you, you've portrayed a very powerful picture, I think, of recovery and the effort involved in that. Mm. You're clearly dedicated to, to that. You know, you're doing the work. So how do you maintain that?
2: Well, I, do, I, I suppose in many ways, yeah, you know, I, I, I don't maintain it. or oh, Sometimes I, I do fall. I, I, I haven't relapsed, I should say. But I get into moments where I, I can feel that I'm not in a good space, and I, I've pushed away my recovery. If I haven't been to a meeting in a couple of weeks, it will start to show. But well, when I see those moments, it's, it's a very huge proof for me that my addiction is still thriving in there, because it's almost like there's something inside of me working against that. Yeah. What does it? Yeah.
0: What does it look like? What do you spot when that starts to happen?
2: Well, I get I start questioning things, and then when I don't, and I. If I don't go to a meeting, it's almost harder then to get back into that routine because it's like an addiction really wants to get me alone so that I can drink and isolate me and not connect. And that's where I'll fall. I think if I were to fall, it's I I, I know I've probably got another drink in me. I don't know if I've got another recovery in me. So, again, it's going back to that gratitude, holding on to that.
0: And connection. Connection sounds really...
2: Connection. The opposite of addiction helping and like connecting back to others and to newcomers is really what keeps me sober I love the saying you know we can only keep what we have by giving it away and that's that's really true for me you know it's about passing on the message that's that's really what keeps me sober
0: yeah so you've done that incredibly powerfully today mm. I, it's I, it, yeah I'm, I'm blown away by your openness your honesty and your journey and your kind of commitment dedication to it and I'm just thinking, okay, what, what, what am I going to put in my toolkit? What, what's going to go in my emotional toolkit? It was your conversation toolkit. With you?
2: So, well, you want to borrow some gratitude? I
0: want to borrow some gratitude. I want okay. gratitude in my <laughs> yeah. toolkit. I want connection in my toolkit. I want vocalising in my toolkit.
2: I love you know,
0: that. They're, they're like the big, the big things. Mm. Um, plus the, uh, we can only keep what we have by giving it away. That's massive.
2: That can be translatable all across life.
0: Alistair, it's been an absolute privilege to talk to you. I've, I've loved every second of this and, and I could just keep going because you're, you're a real inspiration and your honesty. And, and I think maybe perhaps I'm going to stick honesty in my toolkit as uh, well, yeah. actually, because that's, that's a powerful thing too. And
2: Peter, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure talking to you.
0: That felt like such a powerful episode and listening to Alistair talk so honestly about his experience in his emotional toolkit, I'm, I'm really struck by the honesty and the gratitude and the vocalisation. Three really powerful tools that, that go into our toolkit. So I just want to encourage you to talk about emotional health and starting that conversation can be difficult. So why not share this podcast with someone and see what conversations happen?
1: Emotionally Speaking is presented by Peter Leonard. Peter's the Chief Executive of the Centre for Emotional Health, and you can find out about their work and training courses by visiting their current website, familylinks.org.uk.
0: I'd like to really thank you for listening. I hope that you felt part of that incredible conversation. You can find the other episodes, if you've not listened to them, on the places you'd normally get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening.
1: Emotionally Speaking is produced by Freya Hellyer and Alexandra Quinn and is brought to you by the team at Loftus Media.